0: Welcome back to The Boy from Splendora, Texas, by Wallace Gibbs. The Flight Attendant, 1995 Well, Captain Armstrong said, only two more legs to go, and then we're off for a couple days. Captain John Armstrong, First Officer Sam Reynolds, and Flight Attendant Michelle Warborough all sat in the American Eagle crew lounge in Terminal A at DFW. How full is the next flight? First Officer Reynolds asked. We're booked to 36 on the way down and only 15 on the way back, Michelle responded. I looked at the bookings for the rest of the day and they are full too. It must mean that school's about to start. Yep, Captain Armstrong responded, all of those Aggies returning back for a new year. The gate agent better hope that two people don't show up because there are no seats to College Station until Monday, Michelle stated. CLL is the IATA station code for College Station, a city that, when combined with its twin city, Bryan, had a year-round population of around 110,000 people. When school was in session for both Texas A&M University and Blinn College, that number swelled to over 170,000 people. Well, Captain Armstrong said, let's head to the aircraft. It's 1330 right now, and they'll begin boarding in about 30 minutes. The three crew members collected their rollerboard suitcases and flight bags. They each scanned their badges at the door that led to the ramp and began walking across the tarmac to the Saab 340B that was parked in position 7. I'll do the walk around, First Officer Reynolds stated. Sounds good, Captain Armstrong replied. Michelle, let me know if you need anything. Just lots of Dr. Pepper, Michelle laughed. For some reason, the passengers on the flights to Tyler Waco, Longview, and College Station really like that stuff. Of course they do, Captain Armstrong stated. It's their national beverage. Don't you mean their state beverage? Michelle said, chuckling. Not if you talk to most Texans, Captain Armstrong replied. Most of them think that Texas is a country all unto itself. Oh, brother. Michelle laughed as she walked down the aisle of the aircraft, making sure that all was in order. Captain Armstrong went into the flight deck and assumed his seat on the left side. He was soon joined by First Officer Reynolds, who had completed his walk-around of the aircraft. First Officer Reynolds took his seat on the right side in the flight deck. Man, this aircraft is sweltering, Captain Armstrong stated. Do they have a PCA cart hooked up? Yep, First Officer Reynolds replied. I saw it chugging away. PCA is an acronym for preconditioned air. Typically, when an aircraft is sitting on the ground, the ground crew will attach a hose from the PCA cart to the aircraft. The PCA cart which in reality is a large portable air conditioning unit and is an essential item in Texas summers to ensure that the cabin is kept as cool as possible during the summer months. Eagle Ops, Captain Armstrong called as he picked up the microphone. This is flight 3793 in position 7. Go ahead, 3793, the dispatcher responded. "'Can we get a crew out here to get engine number two started? "'It's hotter than heck on this aircraft,' Captain Armstrong asked. "'You bet,' the dispatcher answered. "'They're already on their way.' "'Thank you,' Captain Armstrong answered. "'Do you know what our final count's going to be?' "'I just got confirmation from the gate that you'll have 34 people. "'Ops says that you have 52 bags.' Copy that, Captain Armstrong said. That's right at our maximum takeoff weight, but that is not a problem for this little lady, First Officer Reynolds responded, referring to the aircraft. The Saab 340B is a Swedish twin-engine turboprop aircraft. The American Eagle version of the aircraft seated 34 people configured with a row of single seats on the left side and a row of Two seats on the right side. There were eleven rows, numbered three to twelve, and then row fourteen, which was placed against the back bulkhead, a wall that separated the passenger cabin from the baggage compartment. Row fourteen had four seats in it. The fourth seat was in the place where the aisle was. There was a lavatory that was placed in the cabin right behind the first officer's seat. The flight attendant jump seat was positioned right in front of the passenger door and would slide away, revealing a collapsible stairway that was let down and pulled up by the flight attendant to allow passengers to board and deplane. Are you ready, Michelle? Captain Armstrong asked as he turned from his position in the flight deck and looked back to where Michelle was preparing the galley for the beverage service. I'm as ready as I will ever be, Michelle answered. About five minutes later, a small bus pulled up alongside the aircraft, and an American Eagle agent hopped out and ran up the staircase. You are completely full, the agent told Michelle. It's all adults and no children. Sounds good. Is this all of the passengers? Michelle said, motioning towards the bus. No, the agent responded. There is another bus with about ten more people. Okay, thank you, Michelle said. Oh, I almost forgot, the agent continued. Here's the paperwork. Michelle took the packet of paper from the agent. The packet normally contained a list of the customers on board and their seat location, along with a list of customers that had special requests, like needing a wheelchair to in-plane and de The paperwork she received for the return flight from College Station would include a list of people that were connecting to other cities. Typically, flights to the last leg of a passenger's journey would not have a connecting list. As the agent returned to the bus, customers began to exit. A ramp agent was positioned at the bottom of the staircase. The ramp agent collected large carry-on bags and placed a gate check tag on them, letting the customer know that they could pick them back up in College Station as they deplaned. This was done because the overhead bin space was minimal in a small plane like the Saab 340B. No sooner than when the last person exited the bus, another bus pulled up alongside the aircraft and disgorged about 15 people. Michelle worked to get everyone settled onto the aircraft and into their assigned seats. It's a little warm in here, the customer in 3A said. It'll cool off once we close this door and get that second engine running, Michelle reassured. After making a second pass through the cabin, Michelle went to the flight deck. We're at 34, Michelle stated. Okay, Captain Armstrong replied. Let's close this baby up and get on our way. Michelle went to the passenger door, pushed down on the lever, holding the stairway into place and pulled the contraption inside the plane, storing it away in its assigned place. From there, Michelle did her safety briefing with the passengers and then opened up the flight attendant jump seat and sat down facing the customers on the aircraft. Almost immediately, she could hear the whine of engine number one start as the propeller slowly began turning and was soon spinning at idle speed. The flight deck door was closed and she would be the only American Eagle person visible to the passengers for the next hour. Slowly, Captain Armstrong maneuvered the aircraft out of its parked position and started weaving in and out of taxiways until he reached the end of runway 13L. The aircraft entered the runway and Captain Armstrong pushed the throttles to full power. The aircraft began increasing speed and then about halfway down the 8,000-foot runway, the Saab left the ground and headed for Collet Station, a short 40-minute flight away. As the aircraft passed through 10,000 feet, a chime sounded, and Michelle began the beverage service. Normally, the beverage service included a complimentary packet of pretzels. However, for the summer of 1995, American Eagle teamed up with AOL, who supplied the customers with a packet that included a floppy disk and installation instructions on how to set up an AOL account. The packet also contained a sealed foil bag with a mixture of peanuts, raisins, and M&Ms inside. AOL was trying to increase their customer base, and what better way to do it than pass out free goodies on an aircraft. About 30 minutes into the flight, Captain Armstrong switched the radio to the College Station frequency and announced, College Station, Station of the Nation, AA-3793 is in range. Normally, a captain would say, College Station, AA-3793 is in range. That way, the way that Captain Armstrong said it stuck with me to this day, and I still refer to College Station as the station of the nation when I tell people where I started my career with the American Airlines group. AA-3793... Copy that, I said as I released the button on the microphone. See you in ten minutes. The afternoon flights in College Station were decently full most of the time, going in and out. However, with the start of the fall semester just a few weeks, just a week away, the inbound flights had been incredibly full. Scott, I said, looking at my buddy, Scott Simpson, I'm going to head downstairs Can you grab the release and bring it to me? I've already printed it up. The release was the authorization the captain needed for the flight back to DFW. Typically, two copies were printed, one for the captain to take with him and one that would stay at the station in the 90-day file. The release contained the fuel load, weather forecast, and a host of other information for the aircraft pilots. The release was a very long document, and when printed using the dot matrix printer we used at the station, it could take a full five minutes for both copies to print. Sounds good, Scott said. Did the captain say if they needed fuel? Yes, I replied as I started down the spiral staircase that would lead me to the ramp level. He said that he'd need about 2,500 pounds, I've already called the fueler. As I exited the staircase on the lower level, I was greeted by Cody Halifax, the person right above me in seniority at the station. Cody was hired in August 1994, and I was hired in February 1995. So, the both of us occupied the lowest rank on the seniority scale at American Eagle in College Station. Hey, I said, they're going to be here in a few minutes. Cool, Cody said. I'll get everything ready. Cody started the tug tractor, pulled out of the parking bay, and headed to the area on the ramp designated for American Eagle. Right as I exited out the bay door, I saw the Saab 340 roar down runway 17 as it came into land. I watched as the aircraft made its way to the end of the 7,000-foot runway when it turned around and headed towards the William McKenzie Terminal. As I approached the designated spot for American Eagle, I watched as a Continental Express Embraer 120 touched down on the same runway that the American Eagle aircraft had just used. The Embraer did not use as much runway as the Saab so the Continental Express aircraft was right behind the American Eagle aircraft as they made their way to the terminal along the taxiway. I grabbed a pair of directional wands and headed to my position. I held up the wand in my right hand, pointing it straight up into the air, and with my left hand, I pointed to the spot I wanted the captain to park the aircraft. As the captain turned the aircraft and headed towards me, I lowered the wand in my right hand, and then brought both wands together, motioning for the aircraft to come forward. As the aircraft neared me, I outstretched my hands and pulled them together over my head, indicating that the captain should stop the aircraft. The captain applied the parking brake and turned off engine number one, the engine closest to the passenger door. As the propeller spooled to a stop... I picked up a set of chocks and placed one chock on either side of the two small tires on the nose gear of the aircraft. I watched Cody grab the GPU cord and walk underneath the aircraft to plug it in. The GPU, or the ground power unit, supplied power to the aircraft when both engines were off. As soon as Cody plugged in the GPU, the captain gave me a thumbs-up motion indicating that he had power, and then he turned off engine number two. Cody then grabbed the tail stand and put it into its holder at the rear of the plane. The tail stand was used to keep the plane from sitting on its tail during loading and unloading. It was only removed when the engines were running and the aircraft door had been closed. Last, Cody hooked up the PCA cart to the aircraft and then turned on the cart. Scott had made it to the ramp and had unlocked and opened the double glass doors at gate 3 that led into the terminal and was walking back towards the aircraft. Right at the same time, I watched as the door to the Saab aircraft swung open and locked into position. The aluminum staircase appeared from inside the cabin, hinged outward, and locked into place. Scott gave the thumbs-up to Michelle, indicating that it was okay to let the passengers begin to deplane. In the meantime, Cody had jumped up into the baggage compartment. I headed to the back of the plane and began taking the gate-checked bags from Cody as he handed them down to me. I put the 15 gate-checked bags onto a small cart and then wheeled them up to the front of the plane where passengers would grab them and take them inside. I will need some ice before we leave, Michelle yelled down to me. No problem. Let me get the check bags offloaded first. I returned to the back of the plane and assisted Cody with the remaining baggage in the compartment. When the compartment was empty, Cody jumped down, and both of us got on the Tug-branded tractor and drove to the baggage claim to deliver the bags to the customers. As we headed to the baggage claim area, I watched as the Atlantic Southeast Airlines Delta Connection Embraer 110 landed on runway 17. This was the only occurrence that all three airlines would be on the tarmac at the same time during the day. I watched as Robin Hayslip and Chris Newman from Continental Express finished offloading their aircraft and started heading to the baggage claim area. The terminal was built in such a manner that only one tractor and cart could be in the baggage claim area at a time, so I was glad that we beat Continental Express into the area. Cody and I quickly unloaded the cart onto the moving belt. Cody jumped back up onto the tractor and drove off while I went into the actual terminal. I could see a guy around 19 or 20 years old standing near the rotating belt of the baggage claim. You didn't see your bag? I asked. No, the guy stated. Can I see your baggage claim check? I asked. The man handed me his ticket jacket, which I opened to verify the baggage claim check. We don't have any more bags, I said. It is very likely that it was left in DFW because of the weight restriction on this aircraft. If you will go upstairs, they will file a missing bag report for you, and when it comes in, we will deliver it to you. I am here until midnight, so I will call you when it comes in. Thanks, man, the guy returned. You're welcome, I said. I took out my keys and opened the secured door that led back to the baggage area. Robin and Chris had just finished offloading the Continental bags onto the belt, and they were driving off to collect the bags for the outbound flight back to Houston. Even though the Continental Express plane landed after the American Eagle plane, they did a 20-minute turn and would be back in the air shortly. The American Eagle plane, along with the ASA plane, would stay on the ground for about an hour. I walked back down to the loading area for American Eagle and assisted Cody loading any bags that had been checked. "'The flight attendant asked for ice, so I'm going to get that, "'and then I'll come back to help you finish loading the rest of the bags,' I stated. "'Sounds good,' Cody answered. "'As I made my way to the sop, the captain, the first officer, and Michelle met me headed into the terminal. "'Would you mind waiting on the ice?' Michelle said. "'Otherwise it will all be melted by the time that we get into the air.' "'Not a problem.' I said as I turned around and headed back to where Cody was. The three crew members made their way up into the American Eagle offices and would stay there until around 4 o'clock, when they would return to get the aircraft ready for boarding right around 4.15. When's the baby due? Cody asked as I sat down in one of the three fold-out chairs we had in the baggage area. The doctor says he's due right on October 25th. I started, but Maria was two weeks late, so it could be early November. So it's a boy? Cody asked. That's what the sonogram revealed, I said. What are you going to name him? Cody asked. Christopher Hunt Gibbs, I said. Hunt is Laura's maiden name, and we wanted to make sure to carry on that name as well. So he will have my last name and Laura's family name. That's cool," Cody said. Laura would be starting her final year in the fall at Texas A&M University. She was planning to take 15 hours of credit in addition to her 40-hour a job, 40-hour a week job at ASA, as well as being a mom to Maria and a wife to me. I honestly don't know how she did it. Cody and I talked while we loaded the remaining bags for the flight when the phone rang. I walked over, picked up the handset, and pressed line one. That's everyone, Brian Smith called out over the receiver. Sounds good, I said. No sooner than when I had said that, the three crew members descended the spiral staircase. Do you want me to wait on the ice, or do you want me to go ahead and get it, I asked Michelle. "'Can you bring it right before you board the passengers?' Michelle asked. "'You bet,' I said. I followed the crew towards the Saab. I heard Cody start up the tug and exit out of the holding area. As the four of us neared the aircraft, we split, with me going to the rear of the aircraft. The captain opened the door to the aircraft, which had been closed to keep the cooled air inside the plane. Then he and Michelle ascended the staircase. The first officer walked the perimeter of the aircraft to ensure everything was in working order, and then he, too, ascended the aircraft staircase and disappeared inside. Cody and I loaded all the baggage. Cody returned the tug tractor back to the holding area while I ascended the staircase to the aircraft. If you will hand me your ice tray, "'I will fill it to the brim for you,' I said to Michelle as I entered the cabin. "'Be careful,' Michelle said. "'It's got water in the bottom.' "'No problem,' I said as I grabbed the ice tray and descended the stairs. "'I dumped out the water onto the ramp and headed towards the ice machine, "'which was next to the baggage claim area. "'I made quick work of filling the blue tray, which is about four inches deep "'and about eighteen inches long and about ten inches wide.' Here you go, I said as I reascended the staircase. Have a great flight. I will, Michelle stated. I'll see you next week. Are y'all ready to board? Tyndall Yap called out on the radio. Are you ready to board? I asked Michelle. Yes, Michelle answered. I'm as ready as I ever will be. Yes, I answered Tyndall on the radio. We're ready to board. I watched as the double doors on gate three opened and the first of the customers started walking out. For any larger carry-on baggage, Scott collected them from the customer, explaining the gate check procedure, tagging the bag and handing them to me. I placed the bags on the gate check cart. The captain is asking if we can start engine number two, Tyndall called on the radio. Got it, I said you ready? I asked Scott. Yep, Scott replied. I'll go start the engine while you go release the GPU and when I tell you. I put on my earmuffs and climbed under the belly of the aircraft to disconnect the PCA hose. I rolled up the hose and secured it to the PCA cart. Whoever designed the port for the GPU should be shot, I thought to myself. Every other aircraft that I had seen had the GPU port at the front of the aircraft, which was convenient to use. Not the sobs. By the time that engine number two was spooled up, the resulting exhaust was suffocating under the aircraft. I watched as the propellers on engine number two started to turn very slowly. Before long, they were up to their idling speed and Scott gave the signal to disconnect the GPU. I turned off power to the GPU and then climbed back under the aircraft. I disconnected the GPU cord from the aircraft, shut the access door, making sure that the clips were in place to secure it during flight. I retracted the cord and placed it on top of the GPU to await the 5 o'clock PM arrival of AA Flight 3890. I watched as Scott gave the signal to start engine number one. Again, the propellers started to slowly rotate, and before long, both engines were at idling spin. Suddenly, the pitch of the propellers changed, and both engines began to rotate faster. Scott bent down and removed the chocks from the front tires, and the Saab slowly ambled away towards runway 17, the same runway where they had landed just an hour before. That was the last time that I saw Michelle Walborough until I met her again in 2017 at AA headquarters where she was working for our emergency planning and response team as Michelle Richardson. It's funny how you never know who you're going to meet and who you will see again when you least expect it. Michelle, I have enjoyed working with you over the past 27 years at American Eagle and American Airlines. When a person retires from American Airlines, it's bittersweet to me. Bitter because I may never get to see you again. Sweet because I hope that life treats you well on this new adventure in your life. I'm going to miss you. This concludes The Flight Attendant by Wallace Gibbs, The Boy from Splendora, Texas.